Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. My name is Dustin, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Devin. Hello. And we have an awesome guest to, today with us, Sean Porter. Hey guys, how you doing? An artist's studio should be a small space, because small rooms discipline the mind, and large ones distract it. There's our, our quote for the day for the episode. Read it again for us. An artist's studio should be a small space because small rooms discipline the mind and large ones distract it. Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, yeah, I can I definitely uh, relate to that one with our small shop that we have in the basement. I think um, as, a, as a person who works in a small space, think you really have to become creative with the way you use that space to use it appropriately so knowing which space you're going to move around in knowing where you're going to put your tools to be able to get to everything and also organizing them in categories so you have you know everything that you're going to use the most often is closest to you and then so on and so forth further out further out or you know you break it you break your space into different areas and then those different areas have those specific tools near them like our grinding area or the main workbench with all the screwdrivers and all the tools on the you know on the wall behind it yeah yeah I, uh, I found that quote thinking of Sean because he is he'll tell us some stories about his tiny house adventures and his uh his I guess his shop now is uh yeah tiny-ish. Well, yeah, and that was one of the things, like uh, Devin said, one of the things that um, was hardest for me to, to learn when we went tiny. And our tiny house is around 350 square feet. That includes loft sizes, and we'll I'll go into some more details later on it. But the biggest thing for me was that anytime I purchased something, it had to go somewhere in that space. And so everything that was already in the tiny house and similarly with a, a small shop is it has a space to be in. And so when you go to buy something new, it's like, all right, something has to move or be gotten rid of, or something has to be reorganized. Like, where is this going to go? And if you can't, you know, if you can't make the decisions to find a spot for it, more importantly in my tiny house than in my shop, because it's right. hard to say no to new tools, but it, <laughs> right, you know, exactly. it just might not be important enough to buy. Like I want to buy this thing for the tiny house. It's like, well, it's just going to sit on the countertop and be junk immediately or be clutter. And that's, it's never fun to live in clutter, particularly when you're in a small space. Yeah. That's, that's where the, uh, that the other side of that quote saying like a large space is distracting. Um, it can be, you know, if you have, if you have too much space, again, you, you have to, you don't have to be so creative with the use of your space and kind of be selective as how you use that space. You can kind of just fill it up, which I end up doing, you know, too much space ends up just getting filled up with junk that might distract me from doing something I want to do. Maybe I like, Oh, well I have space to put this other thing or this old 
tool chest that might need to be refurbished and put back together, you know, that's going to might just just distract from something else I could be doing my you know using my time better with in the shop. This is true, but also with um, your living space, I think that's a lot different, though. Right. You want the space, but well, I, it's a, it's a choice, right? You can do the tiny house thing, the minimal minimalist. Like, do we need this? Do we can we live without this? And most of right. the times, it's yeah, but do you want to live without it? Right. I guess that's the tiny house question right and so uh so i'm going to introduce our guest today again i said this is sean porter sean uh, has a youtube channel called crafting a life i want and he has a instagram with the same name uh crafting a life i want all separated by underscores at instagram um and sean and i have been good friends for just about 11 years i've known him for one day longer than i've known my daughter so we met him the day before she was born um and sean and i have kind of grown really close over our love of making things and crafting things um he has uh an awesome tiny house and was on the show tiny house nation um and has just really you know kind of done a bunch of fun things over the last 10, 15 years since I've known him and um, some other kind of interesting things since uh, he's been making things since childhood. So Sean, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, you know, as, as you guys said, my name is Sean. Um, I've always been, I've always been interested in, in building things. And some of that's because growing up, uh, my father was always out in the shop doing stuff, and it wasn't by profession. It was just that was his balance to life as well, was being out there. And we tackled a couple of big projects growing up, like residing our house, building a couple of decks on our house. Um, and it just it gave me that sense that I can do this. And I've just, with YouTube and stuff like that, it just increased. Like, you can find a, a YouTube for teaching you anything. Like you can learn how to tile on YouTube and, you know, learn is, I use that term loosely. There's a whole lot of experience that goes into a lot of things. I'm sure you're aware. Like the content is out there and you can watch it. (laughs) Almost anyone can make a table, but can you make it, make it well. Right. And also do it in a way that shows someone else what you're doing and make that interesting to watch. (laughs) Well, like you guys have, you guys have mentioned before, as you go back and look at some of your earlier videos, and you cringe at some of the things you said or did or how you done, you've done things on those videos. And right. I, would, I would say you'd be hard-pressed to find any YouTube creator that can't do the same thing. Like, and you guys have been producing a really high-quality product since you started. And some of that's just, you know, Devin, your experience behind the camera and editing um, mm. and knowing what to look for having gone to film school. But, right. you know, I go back and look at my first couple of videos. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like why is this my most popular video this is this is why i'm not getting subscribers it's so poorly done um and even even building things like i've made three knives at this point and i go back and look at my first knife compared to my second and third knife and i'm just like wow like how did i let that leave my shop i, I gave it to my dad um as a father's day or christmas gift or something but i'm like i want to bring it back and make him a better one now so do you think that like that growth in that amount of time is based off of just your knowledge or um, like more things you've watched? What, what do you think has helped you grow over that? Like those three knives? I mean, it's a lot of it's been some of my exposure to the community. Um, I'd only my first knife. I only just kind of got into the community. Like I'd talked to 
to you, Dustin, um, about it a lot. And actually, I made it mostly right. with your tools and grinders. Um, and you were like, here, check out this podcast. And you were talking about the Knife Knife Talk podcast and um, pointed me to a couple other people on Instagram, things to look at, other channels on YouTube. And I just started getting into it more and looking into more and thinking – you know, I can, I can do this. I just have to spend more time and, and focus a little more and right. put a little more yeah, energy into the finished product. Like, you know, right. time constraints always, always kill some of my ability to, to spend a bunch of time on stuff. But yeah, that's what we say, you know, with, with, uh, when we talk to other content creators and I've mentioned this to you in the past, it's like, you know, if you want to, if you want to put out a good product, whether that's a knife or a, a table or a YouTube channel, you know, it's putting in the time and putting in the, you know, it's just to, how do you become a good, you know, content creator is by making content. How do you become a better knife maker is by making more knives. Right. You know, and just, I, it, I was yeah. thinking about that. Our first videos, even if I had already done stuff before, you still see things because we're always getting comfortable. I'm getting comfortable with shooting Dustin, right. how we want to shoot. Dustin's getting comfortable in front of the camera. So and also finding the best angles in the shop. Now I know where the coolest shots right, are. Yeah. But a lot of people, it's tricky because your first few videos, if you have no experience in in production, it becomes kind of like your student films. Mm -hmm. they, that I I would look back on and go, ooh, that's kind of <laughs> like weird. That that was an obvious mistake. That I shouldn't have shot it like that. Right. So everyone's like putting out their first work. It's like if you were an artist, you started right. putting out your first few sketches of a yeah. tree, and then people can go back and look at your first few sketches. Right, yeah. It just takes, and everything, this podcasting, we're, we're finding better ways to do it. Yeah, and just, people- It just takes time. People ask about that all the time on different podcasts I listen to, and also on, you know, through comments through our channel. It's like, how do you get started? When do you get started? When do you decide it's the right time to monetize, or when do you decide it's the right time to start selling your work? And it's really like <clears throat> that's a when you feel comfortable with what you're doing with you, it's you think it's to a point that it is worthy of your skills and worthy of someone paying you for it. Mm. So in knife making, you know, everyone who I've heard of talk about knife making and people who sell their knives are always like, you know, those first few knives they wish they could get them back and you know do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, same thing with me. Like I I've, I've made knives to sell in the past, and I'm like, oh man, I can't believe that actually like went out, but every knife that I make and every, you know, every time I'm learning something and making something better. And I think we're doing the same thing. Every YouTube video, every, you know, piece of content, every piece of craftsmanship that we do, it's, you're always growing. You're always getting better because it's that experience. The only way you're going to get better is to just build all that experience and build yeah. up those life experiences. And, you well, know, that you all said adds. something that I like, I a hundred percent agree with in regards to selling a product. And that is when you get comfortable enough to sell it. However, as far as like YouTube content creation is concerned, because initially you're not getting paid, right? It's almost like it's almost the opposite. Is you don't wait until you're comfortable because you're just going to keep waiting. You're never going to feel comfortable or overly happy and 100% satisfied with your your product because we all have so much growth. Like even you guys, you guys produce a very high quality production, and even now, I, I would imagine you still have places where you want to do better or things you can change and growth that you can achieve as far right. as your, your yep. quality is concerned. And so some of the stuff I've watched and listened to in regards to starting a YouTube channel has just been like, just start, like put out content. Yeah. Right. People will let you know, like you'll get comments saying, Hey, this isn't good. And I've had 
plenty of people say, get more lights in your shop. So I've gotten more lights in my shop since my first <laughs> right. several videos. And you, yeah, something like that you think would be something easy. I've heard, um, I forget where I heard the quote from or something. Someone's like, you know, the best way to learn to make a podcast is, or the best way to make a learn a podcast or to make to a YouTube video is to make a YouTube video. <laughs> so you have to just do it. Like you said, yeah, that's some of those, you just got to jump in and just start because you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and people won't, people won't judge you as harshly on YouTube because even some of the biggest vloggers, you know, there's no, there's no necessarily technique. It's just a real nice, expensive camera, a $2,000 <laughs> camera, you know, shot, shot straight at their face, turned at their right. face with like a stabilizer on it. Yeah. There's no technique. And, necessarily and i think i mean as far as you know i can speak for myself but i really think a lot of people turn to youtube rather than tv because of the of the the opportunity to have a relationship with the person so you're watching them as they are and you know the, the more genuine someone feels the more you know the more i want to watch that person and i get invested in who that person is and if they have a video that seems poor quality compared to some of the other ones like i, I just watched a uh, how ridiculous video they have two and a half million subscribers and their audio was weird on this last video that I, that I listened to. And it was like, it didn't matter. You know, I was invested in those guys. I'm like, okay, the audio is a little weird now. And again, they had these weird, like <laughs> funky sounds and kind of muffled at uh, sometimes. And it was well, like, it yeah, didn't matter, I mean, know? a channel like that's so big, even if they do do a crappy video, it doesn't matter. We'll get millions of views. Right. So they're, they're just putting it out because it's those people that, you know, I'm invested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the same yeah, thing, you know, the like, issues getting those people yeah. invested. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's fun. One of the one of the biggest issues I have is that um, when I'm recording, and I, I do everything myself, I don't I don't have a Devin behind the camera, which <laughs> I've killed for a Devin behind the camera. Um, Wouldn't we all? <laughs> but like, I say we all the time. Right. And I like some people have called me out on, on comments. It's like, who, who are you talking to? I'm like, uh, nobody. <laughs> the next thing we're going to do, yeah, we all have our crutches. We, we have our show notes right here in the podcast that say, don't say, you know, because we say it all the time, or at least I do. Well, it's, it's just, it amazes me how many times, like I'll shoot something, you know, 10 or 12 times, think I've gotten it, go into the editing room to, to take care of it. And I'm like, really? You said we four times in a 30 second segment. How did you not notice that? I, and I, I, I don't think that's so bad. That's one. That's kind of an inclusive talk thing, right? When you're talking yeah. to a group of people. Yeah. You know, we, we should do it this way. And we, we did it. And it, I don't know. That, that's not that bad. And yeah. you could have a company of people with you or in your shop. Or you may, people may not think that, but. Right. Yeah. I think well, that's also one of those things where it, it could be used. It, it can be used with I, depending on how you're approaching it talking to the viewer because if you're trying to include the viewer you know if you're working along with us blah 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 the next thing we're going to do is this and then they understand that you're speaking with them and a lot of times it does that way because as content creators we are thinking about talking to the audience quite often so stumbling over we as opposed to i i do it all the time as well I'll do the same thing in multiple takes, just like you said, where I'll do I in one and then we in the next. And I think about it, okay, at, at this point, it could be appropriate if I say we, but other, over here, it right. should be just I. Like, all right, I'm, I'm back in the shop. Da, 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 and da, and for, for us, it is us too, always. Right. So there is a we. And someone will say, when if you say, like, our channel, or we, we decided to produce this, right. then it is a we. Yeah, the, one of the, the best uh, comments I've gotten back from a subscriber. It's actually Chris Killinger, um, who is 
he did the uh, legit legitimus podcast and he's a, a big axe maker um i put out a thing saying this is what you know we we made this video we made this axe handle and you know put it on this head and chris put a comment in the things like i don't know who this we is but you did an awesome job on this <laughs> so i responded back i was like well we is my brother and i we're a team we work together to put this content out so he's like oh, okay cool that's good we you know, good we, job for we work we build it we edit right we the, make the, we make the music right, the royal we the royal we <laughs> i love chris conjure's handles too actually my yeah. most recent video the uh, Norland axe restoration video. The handle was styled off of some of his axe handles. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah. When, when I get comments and stuff back from him, especially on the axe videos, I'm like, Oh, nice. Cool. If Chris likes them, then they're pretty good. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that I've looked at, you know, for quite a while following along the axe junkies, YouTube. I'm um, sorry. Uh, the axe junkies, uh, Facebook page. And, uh, yeah, always good to hear from Chris. So, Sean, I want to hear all about your tiny house story, but I want to start out with if anyone were to come to you and they're trying to look into buying either a piece of land or a cheap house to get started, would you suggest they start with a tiny house or not? If, well, there's there's a couple things to look into. Um, Some of them are very location specific and others are more lifestyle specific. Um, tiny houses are still very new. Right. And so finding a tiny house friendly community um, is rather difficult. And the reason for that is that there's not, there's not really a definition for a tiny house. And so you start looking at, well, where does this fit in? And so if your tiny house is on wheels, usually you're going to get um, slated into RV laws. And for the most part, it's illegal to live in an RV on a property. Um, particularly mm-hmm. full time. Some of them will let you like live in it for X amount of time, but it's usually measured in months, not in years or any type of full time. Um, right. So additionally, if it's if it's not on wheels, then you get um, pushed into what's called a, a DADU unit, which is det- a detached accessory dwelling unit. Uh, but then you start getting minimums for square footages. And same thing with building just a tiny house on a property is that a lot of our building codes and these were put in place back in, in the day to try to prevent slumlord type things. They put minimum square footages on things like bedrooms, bathrooms, kitchens, right. living spaces, etc. cetera. Right. Uh, and so you get looped into those laws and if you're building on a foundation and expect to be hooked to utilities or things like that, which again is, is often needed. Um, you just got to check your local laws and like Vermont, uh, the entire state is a really tiny house friendly area, but even then these laws tend to be more county by county based, which is what makes it so difficult is that there's not like an overarching national structure where boom, this law's in place. Tiny houses are legal everywhere. All of your building codes and stuff are all community based, which is frustrating. And so it takes somebody and, and you're welcome. Like people are welcome to do this. I've thought about being a little more active, but don't necessarily want to draw attention to my own tiny house at the moment. But um, more active in the community is trying to get laws created to cover tiny houses. Um, right. And I know like the, you know, you mentioned tiny house nation um, and those hosts are fantastic. Zach Giffen and uh, Oh God, whatever the other guy's name is. Um, they're both <laughs> in real life. They're just as friendly as they are on camera. Nice. And they're both very active in tiny house communities across the nation. And they actually did get, um, there is a nationwide law. I'd say law, but it's really just a definition that says a tiny house is X. 
and there's you know square footage is like less than 500 square feet um and there's some things but it gives it gives local communities something to build on it's like we have this nationwide definition of a tiny house now you can use this to build laws tiny house specific laws on top of right yeah so there's there's that that medium that everyone now can use when they're saying, I want to put a tiny house on this property um, or I want to buy this property specifically so I can put a tiny house on it. So then yeah, the lawmakers around your area can say, okay, well, what is a tiny house? This is what it is. Now these are the regulations. And like you said, you know, all of the rules and all before that that were made for houses are 70s, 60s, 50s, whenever for all the regulations of what, so tiny houses weren't really in existence then. And other than like trailers, um, but you know that's completely different. And so they they need to. Um, Devin's question about would you suggest someone buy the tiny house or buy a piece of land or which way to go about it? You know, it really is. It just depends on I guess where you are and your county and what they what they know about it and what they what the laws are for it. Yeah. Because last thing you want to do is yeah move into a place and then someone's like nope can't keep it here. This doesn't work in this county. You know, maybe if you were over a hundred yards in the next county, then maybe, but not here. So if they had if they had the perfect setup, Sean, would you? Say, yeah, go for it. If, like they said, I, yeah, well, I got a nice piece of land and the county allows it and everything's tiny house friendly, would you dissuade them at all? I certainly don't regret it at all. Like, it, it gave me a total, totally different appreciation on the things in my life and what was important to have around me all the time. Um, now, other aspects of it were difficult. I'm not going to say it was all easy to go from, I mean, we had gone from an 1800 square foot house to a 750 square foot house to a 600 square foot apartment to a 350 square foot tiny house. And that was like, <laughs> that was within a year. We made those That's changes. A, it like, sounds like the perfect progression. Yeah. You acclimated <laughs> yourself slowly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that was accompanied with like two or three garage sales and trips to Goodwill and like getting rid of things and finding where things were going to live. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to rebuy all my tools. So they actually just went into a friend's garage until we were, ready to have them back again but it's you know it's certainly an adjustment period um and they try to do some of that on the tv show give you an idea yeah, so, of, of what it's going to be like yeah so can you tell us how you went from that last apartment or not even the apartment that your last house what made you and your wife kate decide to go the tiny house route so in in 2015 we had moved from maryland to seattle and that was on purpose um I was working from home and was allowed to work from home in Seattle as much as from home in, in Maryland. And that was about the time that tiny house shows started becoming a thing. And I've always been interested in, in building like, you know, we've talked about and it seemed like a lot of fun. It seemed like something that would be really fun to do is build a tiny house. And hmm. Kate and I, and we moved to Seattle, and then a couple of months later, we sold our house in Baltimore and bought a house over on the peninsula, Kitsap Peninsula. And that was the 1,800-plus square foot house that we I had been talking about. And again, interest was just continually growing. Um, the issue we were having with that house on the peninsula is that my wife worked in downtown Seattle, and her commute was four-ish hours a day. Oof. And it was really hard. Like she would leave at six o'clock in the morning and not get home until eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. Mm. Yeah, now, this was, that, that gave me yeah. tons of time to go bike riding or stay in the shop <laughs> or things like that. But. We had a great relationship at the time. Yeah, babe, I love the two hours we spend together every day. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, and then I would, you know, I would go and pick her up from 
there's a ferry commute in that. And so I'd go pick her up from the ferry and take the dogs for a walk. So we'd all be there to greet her when we got her. And I'd, I would have dinner ready when she got home. Like I did what I could to make, make her life a little easier for her. But it doesn't change the fact that four hours away from home, and this was before we had kids. So there really wasn't that additional aspect of it. Um, but we only lasted, I think we lasted about six months in that house before we we're like, nope, this isn't going to work. Uh, and that was about yeah. the time Kate got pregnant with our first kid and we sold the house a couple months later and moved to the 750 square foot house. And that was unfortunately when I sold my welder, sad face. Um, no. <laughs> sad face. <laughs> and uh, the house we were renting in uh, what is called West Seattle was the 750 square foot house. And it, we were seriously considering um, a tiny house. We couldn't afford to live in Seattle. And we're like, all right, if we can do this and build it ourselves, we'll, you know, it might take six months to a year to be able to afford all the parts and stuff, but we'll save all the, uh, all the labor and stuff like that. And we started looking into it. Um, loans to get tiny houses are kind of hard. Uh, we worked with a builder that ended up getting us an RV loan because she's a certified RV manufacturer. So we got an RV loan to cover the build of our tiny house. Um, I'll go into that in a few minutes. But then our landlord decided to sell our house. And we didn't want to move into an apartment. We didn't want to move way far away because the commute, again, would just be terrible for Kate. By this time, we had our we had our son, and uh, we're starting to look into that. Kate had um, started doing freelance photography, but we had, we wanted to be in that location. We're like, well this house is selling for an obscene amount of money and I can't afford it. So let's do the tiny house thing. We'll travel for a couple of years. We'll save up some money and then we'll come back and have a down payment for a house. And so that's when we um, started looking at it. We found our builder, which was Seattle tiny homes. Um, She did a great job and got us, we got a a small loan to cover the building of a trailer and the, um, the least amount to happen to, uh, get us RV certified and that we could finish the build ourselves. Um, and then tiny house nation, uh, called us and was like, Hey, well, I mean, we had applied for it, but they were like, yeah, you know, you guys want to do a show. This is what would have to happen. Um, you know, your builder is going to have to finish the build. You're going to have to figure out how to make that work. And then we'll come in and do filming for about a week. So, so are they, were they, they're just offering basically to film your, you guys in tiny house in your house was it with my understanding of tiny house nation a lot of times it seems like they're building the house for the people or or they're doing a significant amount of work is that how does that work so it's actually shifted um and we were it's been a couple years now since we've done our tiny house show so we were season four i think episode 11 so they've done four seasons of this and i guess initially it was tiny house nation was doing the build. Um, mm-hmm. and then it progressed into, you know, this isn't working, um, for us financially and how everything, and I don't know all the details of it, but it progressed into, um, you have a builder that does all of the building. We come in and do, you know, three projects, uh, to, and it varies depending on, you know, how, what you want done, what can be done in a time slot and things like that. So f- for our episode, they built us a custom, uh, mobile fence actually that attached to the back of our house that it would be something we could let the dogs out right, while we were traveling. Set up, yeah. let the dogs out. They would have a fenced in space to be, and then it would pack up and hang on the front of the house while we traveled. 
Um, and they did our, our custom stairway as our stairwell as well that included a whole bunch of storage. But it was, uh, it was a, it, so, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, but yeah, they, <laughs> they just do those projects and kind of add in some drama and, and make things uh, appear yeah. in one way or another. Um, <laughs> so, it's, so if, yeah, if Sean, if you're looking to buy one, is it somewhere I, I read it was anywhere between 10,000 or 110,000. So yeah, I guess you're looking somewhere around the middle of that number to find something reasonable. I don't know how many, like, I, I don't know how many used ones are for sale at this point. Um, I, yeah. I've been out of the market for a while and haven't done any fresh research, but, um, the show and most shows, uh, not just Tiny House Nation, tend to undersell the value and how much they cost. Um, right. Ours was north of a hundred thousand dollars. Gotcha. So they're not. It's not cheap. Now, granted, a lot of that is labor. So if yeah, you're I mean, building it yourself and right. your material is scrap, yeah, you can build a tiny house for twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars. Right, um, and even even a hundred thousand is significantly less or not maybe depending on where you're in the country less than what you'd pay for a house and property yeah right but then you also need the property or you need you need a truck way to, yeah you need a right. big uh sixty thousand dollar truck to, <laughs> yeah right. oh, what, what did you what did, what did you have to pull the your tiny house we found a used 2010 ford f450 dually Ooh. that thing not towing got nine miles to the gallon <laughs> you want to you guess what it got towing a tiny house? Got what? Five. Four. Oh, Four man. miles to the gallon. So <laughs> the dream is to move your tiny house all around, but it's going to cost you $600 to move one state over. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hopefully all, all of your family is within 40 minutes of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that, wasn't, that wasn't the case. Yeah, <laughs> we were right. in Seattle at the time. My family's in Michigan. My wife's family is in New Hampshire, and I don't know if you can oh, actually nice. get farther away from Seattle than New Hampshire. I mean, there's Maine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, um, yeah, what, what was the... Uh, the shooting like so you get everything set up you get your builder you're ready and what do you do on the first couple days of shooting how does that all begin what's that experience like so they they do kind of a combination between filming in your your home and i put that in air quotes and then filming on site of where where the tiny house is and a lot of times excuse me sorry um a lot of times they will make things appear less done than they are so like there's there's at least one shot in the house where all of the cabinets that have already been installed are covered in a tarp or plastic and they cover the outside of the house in Tyvek wrap, even though the siding's already on just to make it look <laughs> nice. like it's less, less built than it is. Yeah. Right. Um, we have 24 hours left. I don't think we'll make it. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, it gets, the filming itself is, as you can imagine, um, even on my, you know, my YouTube channel, right? Your YouTube channel. Sometimes it takes you 10 or 12 takes or more to get something right. Right. And you add, you know, a couple more people, uh, things you're not necessarily comfortable with. In our case, we added two dogs and a year and a half old to the mix. And, you know, you start talking 15, 20 takes to do something and try giving it, try giving a genuine reaction to something that's supposed to seem excited or concerned or worried after 15 or 20 times or more doing it. 
Yeah, even the second time is so hard. <laughs> You're like, okay, now I'm going to do it again. I have to react excited again, you know, to look at this thing for the first time, but now the second time, or the third, or the fifth, <laughs> or the tenth time. Yeah. And you have, so, uh, or at the time you had a, a Great Dane in a lab? Yeah. Um, that was that was another funny thing, is they made it appear, like they ask you all these questions while you're standing in your tiny house. Um, that's mostly done at this point. Like you're supposed to be done in a couple of days. And they're like phrasing questions so that people think you didn't plan for the fact that you have a Great Dane, a chocolate lab. You want to store a sewing machine. You have a kid. Like we would get comments about our episode being like, how can you not plan for your dogs? And we're like, seriously, you think we didn't plan for the 210 pounds worth of dog we had lying around? From the very first time we thought about a tiny house <laughs> years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was always a, a huge part of our thought process was our dogs are family. Um, you know, my yeah. dog sleeps more or less underneath my hand beside my bed every night. And so having them be comfortable in the tiny house was important to us. And, and making that space for them as much as it is for us and our kid was always on the top of our thing. But Right. Yeah, yeah. you can you can be an asshole sometimes, but never towards your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can be an asshole towards your dogs, too, but they look at you with that look, and you're like, oh, God, I know what you was just I thinking? love me. Well, they're sorry. <laughs> yeah. When you're what a jerk I, to them, they're I, sorry about what it. I do wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I deserve it. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, that, that's, that's so much fun. So you said, uh, what's the episode again? I think it's season four, episode 11. It's called Big Dog's Tiny House. Uh, you can find it. You might be able to stream it on something. I don't know. Um, I know you can find it for like a buck ninety nine on Amazon Prime last I checked. Yeah. I, I, I looked on Netflix and it, they still only have like the first two seasons. Yeah. Well, and so, I think they pick some of the more exciting episodes. And right. we worked very hard to make our episode really like dull. Like we didn't, we didn't want it to be exciting and to be continued in circulation. We didn't want to be on TV. We only did it for, you know, other reasons. Right. So, so now you have, um, you have your tiny house. You're, you're here back in Maryland. Um, are you still living in your tiny house or what are you working? What are you doing now? We're not. So, um, we moved out. Hmm, I guess it was when, we made the decision to expand our family and my wife had a rough first first pregnancy and didn't have any interest in having a rough second pregnancy in a tiny house with stairs that aren't, you know, easy to handle when your center right. of gravity is off balance, not to mention a composting toilet. Um, just didn't seem like fun for her right. or me yeah. as the one that has to clean it. Yep. <laughs> um, so we moved out and uh, the property we're on, um, well, I don't know. Do you guys want me to go through kind of the progression on how we got from Seattle to here again? Yeah, yeah. From from yeah, do that from when you left. Sure. Well, why? Why? I mean, why did you leave your spot in Seattle and, and come all the way east? And well, I know you had some cool stops. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. Um, our first location in Seattle, and I, I use Seattle loosely because we are actually south in Tacoma in unincorporated King County because you know laws, things like that. Um, and so we were in, we moved in in October and then moved, they had an end date where she had somebody that was living in an RV part-time uh, that was coming back to the location. So we ended up um, staying there as long as we could and then lived in a friend's yard for a month and then hit the road in April. Um, I think it was April 31st. We actually left with plans to travel. Uh, like I said, my wife was doing 
freelance photography at this point, and I was still working from home. So we hit the road from Seattle and started traveling with the intent to like see parts of the country on our way. Uh, both Kate and I have done a significant amount of international travel, but very little. Like I, I still haven't seen the Grand Canyon. That unfortunately didn't make our list. But I, mm-hmm. at the time, hadn't been to Yellowstone, hadn't been to the Badlands. Um, hadn't seen the Mississippi river other than driving across it, things like that. Um, nice. spoiler alert. Those are the places we went. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we left and, you know, we had a couple small issues with our tiny house, uh, which is fairly common with new construction. We had a tub that cracked that our builder repaired with no issue, um, or replaced with a, a nice custom stainless steel one. So we stopped in Walla Walla, which is where our builder was. And then we hit, um, uh, Yellowstone was our first stop and there's an RV nice. park all the way down at the, the north tip and we became the northern route but all the way at the north tip of the lake and we settled in there um, I actually took some vacation so I wasn't doing my job at the same time and just stayed there for a week had no phone service um, mm. had tons of fun and like we were just we parked our tiny house set up had our whole home with us it was comfortable and then we would take our truck and do day trips we got to see grizzly bears you know, um, actually our favorite one was we saw mama grizzly with her two cubs up on the hill, yeah. which was a lot oh, of fun. Cool. Yeah. Just, you mentioned really briefly that you had like no cell service. It's amazing how, when you push yourself into that situation, how freeing it is Because if, if you're ever anywhere and you have cell service, then we live in a society now where you're going to look at social media. You're going to check your emails. You're going to do all that stuff. So once you push yourself into that, it's so nice, so freeing to like not have that, uh, and, and to be like creative and to be visually stimulated and all these things and just, just, respond to the land and I can't imagine what that's like because I've never been to Yellowstone but I just imagine that was amazing being there without any of that distraction of anything else just purely taking in what's around you oh it's absolutely beautiful Um, I loved every minute of it Uh, barring maybe a small small bit where I decided to go on a bike ride Um, and I like to cycle so bike ride was 40 miles and my goal we hadn't seen any grizzlies at this point and I had been told there were grizzlies at this place I was going my goal was to see grizzlies. And so I had, you know, 20 miles out, 20 miles back. And I get like three-fourths of the way out. So, you know, 15 miles out. It's raining. It turns to snow. I'm cold. I don't have the right gear for this. Because it's, you know, it's April, May. If I'm not in the mountains and whatnot, and, and uh, I don't know. It should have been warmer than it was. Um, and, right, of and course. you have a, uh, it's a road bike too, right? Yep. So. Yeah, skinny, I'm, skinny I'm tires, right. skinny tires, slippery. Um, <laughs> questioned at one point my ability to outrun a bear while I was on that trip. I was like, "Is this a good idea?" And the the worst part was that, well, a couple of things: no cell phone service, so I can't call my wife to come pick me up. But two, I actually went on a trek that wasn't open to cars yet, so I had gone mm-hmm. w- within five miles of the start. I was in an area that Kate couldn't even come get me if she wanted to. Hmm. And so I get I get there. I actually <laughs> tried to uh, find somebody to give me a ride back, and they're like, uh, "No." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> what happened to that I'll country? Just... Nice thing. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks. I'll just die out here. No big deal. <laughs> it's, it's too bad Trent wasn't there. He'd have given me a ride back. <laughs> well, He's up in that uh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so I just, I had to turn around and come back home. And by the time I got back, Kate had driven as far as she could, like put our kid in the car and driven the truck, which she hates driving as far as she could and just waited for me. And I was so thankful to not have to ride those last five or six miles because it was one of those things where like there's cold and then there's, you spent a long time chilling your core with you know, rain and, and freezing water and stuff like that, that just, you're, you just can't get warm. Um, right. Right. I yeah. had a couple times, I you know, a motorcycle ride of three miles in, in May in the Midwest or three hours on May in the Midwest, where I just got home and sat, sat down in the shower for 45 minutes of warm water running over me and was still shivering. Right. <laughs> was your, uh, was your tub working at that time? So when you, when you finally got back, could you at least take a hot shower? Yes. Yes, our tub was working, and we had full hookups in that that RV park, so it wasn't a it wasn't a concern. You uh, you mentioned uh, your, your wife Kate came out and met you, brought your uh, your new infant son with you, and came and and found her husband somewhere out and picked you up. Uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of background. Kate and I were friends um, from our freshman year of college, and that's how I met Sean because uh, he was dating Kate and we were up in uh, New Hampshire at the time I was in grad school and uh, they, you guys were up uh, for a, for a, a wedding, Kate, I think it was a family, a uh, family friend of Kate's who was getting married or cousin or something. Uh, something like that. Um, it yeah. might've been, <laughs> so, <laughs> been her, we were, her best friend, Sarah, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we were actually, my wife and I were out on the beach on the coast of New Hampshire. Um, and this was uh, early September. Um, and so it was warm enough out and my wife really enjoyed it cause she was fully pregnant nine months and could dig a hole in the sand for her pregnant belly to be in. So she could actually lay on her belly. So we were out <laughs> on the beach and then you and Kate came out and I think we had breakfast on the beach. We like brought some stuff out and we met you there. It's a good time. And then she gave birth she, like a sea turtle, yeah. <laughs> buried it, buried it in the sand and cr- crawled out, crawled into out. the sea. <laughs> One o'clock in the morning. Hello. <laughs> Only with the moon to guide her. <laughs> Oh, no, that was yeah. that was great. I remember thinking it hilarious because your wife, you know, nine plus months pregnant, was just yeah. out there in a bikini with. Yep. And you guys brought like a nine by thirteen of an egg casserole with you. Yeah, right. We brought a casserole to, yeah, to the yeah. And it's not like Nicole it's ate it all herself. It wasn't even like afternoon. Like the beach was empty. Yeah, because you, know, yeah, you guys couldn't go. We had come most of the way to you because you couldn't go more than X miles from your hospital because that's right. how far along she was. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was actually. Um, I think we we're five or six days past her due date. Um, her due date was early September. And if she hadn't gone into labor that the next day or that day, they were going to induce her on the following day, which was labor day. So funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you're in Yellowstone. Um, how are the roads are on there trafficking those roads with your tiny house. Oh, stressful. Man, <laughs> yeah. things I don't want to do with the tiny house again. So um, I haven't really gone into details of the size of our tiny house other than 350 square feet. But that's a 30-foot trailer that is about um, eight and a half feet external width at the widest. Um, and I before I pulled this tiny house, which is 16,000 pounds, um, so add 30 feet plus mm. my truck is, you know, another 20-some-odd feet Um it was the heaviest thing I pulled was a four by six trailer with a motorcycle in it. And so that was a big stressor. Um, (laughs) it was a huge stressor for my wife. I couldn't get stressed out about it. Otherwise I would have just frozen up and not been able to do anything. So I just was like, yeah, I got this. (laughs) Be a man, ball it up. 
do it. <laughs> Save it for later. Do it. If it doesn't work, we'll figure it out at that point in time. If it breaks, right. it was the trailer's fault. Well, because at that point, you're like, you don't have a choice. You know, you, yeah. you've already right. made all these decisions that are all sequential. You can't go back on it. Like, I have to yeah. move the tiny house. Yeah. That was the whole yeah. point of doing any of this. <laughs> right. So it, let me, um, since I, I don't know if I've ever been in, I've been outside of it. I've seen it, but... What's the layout on the inside? What, or I guess, yeah, what's, what's the layout of your tiny house? So when you walk in, our front door is on what would be the passenger side of the tiny house. And it's a full glass front door, so you have good sight lines um, in the tiny house. You walk in, and you have about five, seven feet to your right. That's the living room, for lack of a better space. So you have, right in front of you, you have a, a dishwasher with kind of a little um, peninsula countertop that comes out in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so you have the living room to your right, the peninsula is right in front of you, and there's actually room for two stools under that that you can sit at and eat. And that was the dining room table um, where we would eat. <laughs> we actually had a clip-on um, high chair for our kid when he was younger that would eat <laughs> there as well. And so that was just uh, kind of a big piece of uh, countertop. And then... We have two big windows over there on the other side of the house. The stairway is directly to your left, and that's a non-common stairway. Um, uh, so, like, the rise and run are a little different than what you would get in a regular house. So it's a little higher steps, um, a little narrower uh, run, so you don't have quite as big of a tread to get right. in. But the stairway up to the primary loft, um, and the primary loft, like, we had a king-size bed up there. So, uh, and enough headspace that we could sit up in bed and read a book or be on our phones mm. or talk without right. having to hit our hit my head on the, the ceiling. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not a short guy. I'm 6'2", six, 6'3", six, so it's not like... And I guess that's that's kind of important. A lot of people, even even now as we Airbnb it, we're like, is there enough room? My husband's six feet tall. Can he fit in the shower? And my wife always talks <laughs> right. like, my, my husband's 6'3", and we lived in it, so yeah. Yeah, he so, fit yes. in the shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The shower. Oh man, that's the bane of my existence as a taller person. Is you go into a place that has a short shower and you have to like crouch or lean over or lean back. <laughs> you know, the tiny house thing forced me to find something that would work in in basically almost all showers. Now there are some that have some significant limitations, but there's an extender. It's like a seven or eight inch extender that you can put on and then bring up another seven or eight inches. So that's what we did in the tiny house. We couldn't like the shower head comes out at whatever height it comes out at, there's a, a specific uh, distance that it can be between the tub spout and the shower head. Right, and so right. that extender allowed me to extend the shower head basically all the way up as far as it could go, the bottom side of the upper loft, because our shower is underneath the primary loft. Right, right. And so, yeah. like, I, again, I'm 6'3". This, the roof in there is 6'7", and that gave me basically just enough space to get underneath the shower head and not have to bend over. It's great. Yeah. Not do a Lost in Translation, Bill Murray, in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, you walk in, stairways to your left up the primary loft. There's not much up there. We had tiny little insane type things and some lights, but it's really just a bed. Um, I did at some point build a closet up there for like hanging shirts as well. Uh, we got mm. rid of that when we transitioned it to an Airbnb. But And then if you walk past the dishwasher... You have countertop along that entire wall. With the sink, we have a propane stove, like a three-burner propane stove and an oven. Um, 
custom cabinets are all there. We have one upper cabinet that also holds the vent for the oven. And then the stairway is all storage to your left. And then just beyond that, you have utility closet is on the right where we have our washer, dryer, um, hot water heater, uh, chemical storage. We put shelves in up high around that. And then on the left, we have a 24 inch desk, which is where I would work from home. And then mm. the refrigerator. Uh, right next to that and then there's a door right in front of you that's the bathroom door so our layout was you walk in you have a open living dining space or a kitchen space and then you walk through the bathroom so the the bathroom is the entire width of the the house you have a sink and a shower slash tub on one side composting toilet on the other side and you walk through that through another door um and then we the back side of the house was um a room for our kid and we built the size of that room around his his standard crib so we took the length of the crib and said all right we need that plus an inch for that size of the room so his crib fit along the right hand side and then we put um hung cabinets and then a changing table on the left hand side and then there's another door on the back of the house uh probably let's see, our main door was 30 inches the door in the back of the house was only 24 inches um, and then it was also full of glass if you didn't have a kid at the time, um, what do you think you'd do with that extra space? Um, a closet. Just a big closet. I, yeah, if storage, I could, yeah. If I could do it again, um, the, the biggest workshop. Is... <laughs> There's your workshop. Ta-da. All my tools. Your office. Here. <laughs> yeah. I have too many tools. <laughs> it just wouldn't work out. Oh, there's um, your small space. You got it real creative. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> you can produce such press. good work. It's like uh, Jesse Allison, uh, Mountain Prevail. His, he's got a, I think it's like 12 by 9 shop that's two stories tall. <laughs> it's like just tiny little <laughs> shop. Boop, boop. It's just sitting all by itself. I've yeah. thought about doing doing like um, shipping containers, but I want a little more width mm-hmm. than the seven feet internal, or seven or eight feet internal dimensions of a shipping container. Because like, um, right. yeah. uh, what's his name? That's simple little life. Simple little life. Yep. He has a shipping Jeremy. container that he does some work in, but because he lives in Canada and it's cold most of the time, he does almost all of his work in the garage because his shipping container is not heat controlled or air conditioned. Well, they don't have really have air conditioning, but it's not heat controlled <laughs> in the winter time, so he can't right. do anything in it. I'm like, yeah, well, he used to. Yeah, his entire shop used to be in there, and then he he moved it into into the garage. But yeah, just it, it might. I guess it'd be worth it if you could creatively get someone's trying to give one away. Or they're trying to right. move it, or they have five, and they're like, "We we got to get rid of some." You help me clear this one out. You right. can take it. Then you go, okay, and you got some land already. Yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll see what I can do with it. Well, and Kate and I had talked about it. If we hadn't had kids, like she and I could have lived in that tiny house full time, but only if right. we had our own land and could build another room or space for our creative energies. So oh, I would want yeah. a shop space. She would want studio space. Um, cause she likes to sew, uh, and we do weavings and things like that. Right. Yep. So if I think the most ho- homeowners, I was looking at some studies, most homeowners say they want more space. Like if they say, if you could go back and do it again, would you downsize or would you want a little bit more? And I think the majority right. said a little bit more. I guess just because of growing families, you're constantly acquiring things, and you just need space. You you need your space in a in a marriage and in a family. You need somewhere to just go off and do your own thing. Right. So how do you deal with that, Sean? Like if you guys get pissed and have a fight, 
and then what do you you climb up into the bed or just go take a hike like there's there's no separate space does that cause any um i don't know extra, extra tension i feel like it would a, a little bit well that's actually that's, that's something interesting and you know quarantine was like we lived in a tiny <laughs> house for two years i can spend all day with my wife and not mm-hmm. not really get into it uh right. <laughs> she and i handle our, our arguments uh mostly immediately um, mm-hmm. so if we get into it there's not like i will occasionally need to cool off for a bit because of the two of us i am significantly more hot-headed uh, and so i'll just walk outside and i, I right. could do this in a tiny ass too i would just go outside wherever we're at go go walk it off or it doesn't it doesn't take me too long to cool off because i'm usually wrong um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> well uh, a true statement that has never been said and then i come back <laughs> for and I all of us yeah. and we talk about it um <laughs> but yeah, so we usually just handled it in the moment. Um, it's actually gotten the part that's gotten a little harder in quarantine as opposed to tiny house is that our youngest son is now almost five. Or sorry, our oldest son is now almost five. Um, right. And so he is far more aware of what we're talking about and how we're saying it. And right. so like, yeah, it's yeah, more yeah, like, right. all right, this discussion <laughs> needs to wait until we have some privacy. Because right. he's also at that age where he thinks every conversation includes him, <laughs> and he's still you. You still spell, but eventually you get to the point where, with our daughter, we would try to spell really fast because she could spell. So, no, 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 no. so spell really fast. You know, we would we would spell ice cream really fast. I see, here I am. She like I know what that means. <laughs> you spell that fast all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I still try to spell things around your daughter when I don't want her to understand, and then I'm like, oh, wait, you can spell. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> She's being a bitch. <laughs> what? Uh, Sean, I was thinking, why? I'll pose this question to you: Why buy? a tiny house for upwards of 90, a hundred thousand when you could buy a used RV or fifth wheel or pull along for, you know, maybe, maybe half that. What's the, uh, what's the pro? And I mean, what, how, I mean, is it like a less trashy option? Do you like <laughs> the aesthetic better? Like, I mean, generally speaking, yes. I don't know if you've ever shopped for RVs, uh, but whoever does the patterning RVs, they're all ugly. Oh yeah, the the crazy stripes and lines and like the bear on the front and the yeah oh, yeah yeah and and if, I like all that stuff. This was a, a huge a huge point for Kate and I, and I think we we talk about it on the television show as well. Um, is that if we're going to live in a tiny space, we need to love every aspect of it. Yeah. Like, yep. I don't want to be, because, you know, we're in a house now that's not ours, and I go into the kitchen, and every day I'm like, oh, God, I would kill for my tiny house kitchen. <laughs> really? Yeah. Even, at, I mean, how much bigger is your kitchen now, other than your... Well, that's the funny thing. The kitchen itself is bigger, and I've got a, you know, a four-by-eight dining room table in it, um, and a full-size refrigerator, and a full-size oven, and a full-size dishwasher, but the dishwasher is lower quality than the one we have in our tiny house, um, because... I fell in love at some point with a Bosch dishwasher that makes zero noise. Um, oh, nice. And then, you know, we had, we actually have more functional counter space in our tiny house than I do in the kitchen. Now the kitchen I'm All in right. now is probably 12 by 14 or 16. Um, but the design of it, the layout is pretty terrible. 
And so there's like a door in the corner, so you right. lose a whole corner of usable space. And then there's, I think my biggest piece of countertop that I can use is maybe 30 inches wide. And then there's a, a 20 inch wide one between the oven and the stove. And then a 20 inch wide one to the right of the sink. Uh, sorry, between the oven and the sink. And then a 20 inch wide right. one to the other side. So there's just, there's less usable countertop space in the house than there is in the tiny house. And the finishes right. in the tiny house are way better. Like you're talking brand new custom cabinets with closed, right. soft closed doors, soft closed drawers. Um, yeah. And style I think that's one of those things, right? The fact that you had a small space and like you said, you wanted to love everything about that space. Right. So, you know, you're, you're, you're buying and purchasing everything individually specifically for that space instead of purchasing an RV, which would have everything pre done for you. Obviously you can choose a layout, but you have that complete creative control mm. and, you know, choice of, um, you know, all the different elements that go into it and you have the complete control over that. And I know you and Kate both have a really great eye for design. Um, so being able to design that space, Kate, it seems like the Kate big draw. Kate has a good eye for design. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I, have a good, I have a good eye for layout. So like I, I figured out the layout right. that we wanted and then Kate was like, all right, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. So that's you have perfect. your yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. That's that's all part of the aesthetic and design. You you could have a huge kitchen if the things aren't in the right place. You're constantly annoyed. Yep. Right. Because I got to walk all over there, all the way over there, ten cabinets away, and get this thing. It should be sitting right here. This right. is wrong. The fridge is wrong. I get that. It's like a nice drum setup. <laughs> it right. surrounds you perfectly. The toms here. This is here, right. and then it yeah. spins in the air and re- revolves. If if you've looked into kitchen design at all, they often talk about the triangle. And the triangle is oven, refrigerator, uh, sink, counter. Can't remember what the third one is, but you know, tiny house. That triangle is real tight. I turn. All I have to do is turn around. I'm at the stove, and I'm in the refrigerator. I turn around the right. other direction. I'm at. I'm at the sink. I'm at the dishwasher. <laughs> Spin around. <laughs> um, so when you got all the way, let's say you get all the way back to the East Coast, and where you're at now, you had some issues um, get, getting it to where it, its final resting place. Yeah, um, we we had I, we only had this year traveling as much as we did, and we went all the way from Seattle to New Hampshire, back to Michigan, and then came back to uh, Baltimore, where we're now settled. And we found, and this kind of goes back to some of the other stuff we talked about as far as legality is concerned. And we found a location that was like, hey, you can put your tiny house here, um, and and live here for X number of dollars a month. And it was in a small neighborhood. The yard wasn't very big. Our tiny house was visible to everyone in the neighborhood. And mm. and nobody's policing that. Like nobody's going around hunting for tiny houses or hunting for people living in their RVs. Um, right. Nobody's actively policing that. But if somebody calls and complains about you or the mm. house or whatever's going on, then there's there's no leg you can stand on. Like they have to come out and write a ticket because somebody complained. And so right. we right. settled um, into the Catonsville area in a small neighborhood. And I think a tiny house came out early October, and by mid-November we had gotten notice that you have a month to vacate the property. Oh, jeez! I'm like, oh, I just got here. Kate's loving her job. Like, I gotta find somewhere else to put the tiny house. So we started looking, looking around, and we found uh, we found somebody in Baltimore County, uh, north of the city of ways, that was offering a spot on his land. Uh, for an RV or a tiny house. And we talked to him um, and we're like, you know, we'll definitely make this work. And he was like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable having a little kid on my property. He was having some insurance issues and there was a big hole in his property. I was like, I might 
you're like, I've got somebody else you can call and talk to. Um, they're not mm -hmm. actively looking. There's nobody living in the house. Let me put you in contact with them. And we're like, okay. And by the time we got up there, you know, I've got two weeks left before I have to find somewhere to put my tiny house. Otherwise my family will be uh, virtually homeless. And this, the, the property's uh, beautiful. It's a bunch of acreage up on a hill. Um, and so we start prepping and this property is, that hill is steep. It's 11% grade at some point. And so I was like, all right, I'm totally gonna drag the back end of my house on the ground when I go up this incline. And right, so I, I, like, I yeah. bought some wheels, I screwed them to the bottom of my frame, and I, we start making this. I think it's, it's got to be roughly my birthday. It's mid-December by this point. So we had a light snow the day before, so everything's Ugh. a little slippery, a little wet. And uh, we go to go up the tiny house, and or bring the tiny house up the hill, and the wheels just shatter immediately like <laughs> they don't support anything the wheels shatter my frame bends i peel the the siding oh. off the back of my house i'm like oh, oh man <laughs> but like i have nowhere to nowhere else to put my tiny house so at this right. point i'm like all right let's just get up the driveway so i finish dragging it till it's at least leveled out again i get about halfway up the driveway and my wheels start spinning on the truck because the driveway is <laughs> is gravelly it's covered in uh, pine needles and it's it had a little bit of snow so everything's just wet enough where it's like nope you're not going to do this <laughs> i end up and and the person that's helping me like kate's not with me my kid's not with me he's in daycare um i had one friend come out and help because dustin was working who was my first choice for most of these things um and this one friend came out and i'd had him park up on the tiny house or up at the property and come down. So now that I'm on the driveway, he can't get around me for us to go buy something and come back. <laughs> I can't back the tiny house back down the driveway because I'm just going to drag it on the ground again. And I still have to get up this, this driveway. So I back down as far as I can, go grab a broom from the house, from the garage, and sweep <laughs> off the driveway as much as I can. I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is last Hopefully ditch Hopefully this works. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Drop it into, into uh, four-wheel drive low and and just hitting, get as much speed as I can before the area that I was going to lose traction and then just crank the wheels back and forth as I started losing traction and had just enough to get up the hill and get it parked. Yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. Now I just have to figure out how to run water 250 feet in the wintertime on top of the ground without freezing it and all of that fun stuff. Right. Right. Those are all things that you can deal with. Yes. <laughs> Leaving your house on the 10%, 11% incline wasn't an option. <laughs> Here we are now <laughs> to put a new driveway like, around us. Maybe we'd start living like those mountain goats where like one leg is a little longer than the other. So you yeah. can stand on the mountain appropriately. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you, um, so now you, you guys are in that house and the tiny house is you've made it an Airbnb. Um, I don't know how much I guess you can't be specific, but what's have you had any crazy guests come in like any <laughs> or anyone looking like specifically for that house because it was because it's a tiny house. I'm right. Sure I mean, you can find tiny house nation, point. but I'm sure you get I mean, they're so close to your house. Do you get some uh, some strange folk? Well, we get it for the most part. It's been perfectly fine. Most of our guests are, are perfectly pleasant. We often get inquiries into our tiny house that are like, hey, you know, we're thinking about going tiny. Can we come just look at it? We're like, no. No, you can book a couple <laughs> nights and stay in it. It'll let you know right, how, it, that how you can it come look at it for a price. It, but yeah, no. it's very affordable. Um, 
And and so we get those, which are just you know annoying. But mm-hmm. man, am I saying you know too much? That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we've said it way more times than I've tried to not say it. So, <laughs> um, and I I don't know. We've had a there's two guests that stick out of my head, and uh, we had one guest. It was probably one of our first two or three guests. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with a composting toilet, a composting toilet functions by separating your liquids and your solids. Um, and so we ask that everybody sits down, and it's just easier to separate those things out. Wait, uh, so it separates. How does it separate? Do you separate? Like, are you, like, ladies are peeing in one hole and, you know, dropping a deuce in another hole? How does that work? That's exactly <laughs> how it works. Um, oh, okay. There's a... There's two sets of holes. One is situated towards the front where the majority of people pee and one situated towards the back with a flap that goes into another area. So the, the pee just goes into a container that gets emptied um, usually every couple of days if two people are staying in the house full time. Right. And then the solids go in the back with peat moss. Um, you can also use cedar shavings, things like that. The idea is you dry it out more and it becomes, you can actually use it for composting on non-edible plants if you wanted to. Right. Um, I don't. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I, I just bag it and trash it um, and get rid of it that way. But so the, the problem with the composting toilet is that if you're not paying attention, the urine container can overflow and it doesn't overflow out unless you open it. Like there's a, a certain quantity that will overflow out of the container if you open it, but mm-hmm. it overflows into the solids container. And somehow mm-hmm. in two nights, they managed to put enough liquid in my composting toilet to not only overflow the urine, but fill the solids container all the way up. And like oh. my urine container is not very big, but my solids container is like a, the equivalent of a five or six gallon container. I'm like, did you literally Holy just dump cow. beer in there? Like, <laughs> I don't even know and how they do that. Um, that oh, was man. the most disgusting thing I've had to deal with. Because at that point, you're basically just oh. dealing with sewage. Ooh. And it was oh so gross <laughs> oh oh man oh, yeah no I'm still just shivering direction. thinking about it um, <laughs> and then the the other issue is not nearly as exciting um, <laughs> it's just you, you when you start everything being you get those people that just feel like high maintenance people um, right and this guy felt like that and sure enough like the moment he got there he felt high maintenance and then sure enough. Within an hour of getting there, he's complaining about, you know, the sheets being dirty, which were fresh, freshly laundered sheets. And I'm like, no, they're not dirty. Literally just put them up there. Um, (laughs) Or the shower curtain being dirty. I'm like, nope, we just washed that too. Like, the house is clean. I don't really know. And he complained the whole time and then left us. And don't get me wrong. We did everything he asked. He complained about the sheets, so we changed the sheets to a different pair of freshly laundered sheets. And like, just <laughs> we did everything we could for him, and he just wasn't happy. And then he left us the most scathing review on Airbnb. <laughs> and man, I don't like Kate is Kate handles most of our communication because she's more articulate and a little more um, even-headed than me. She just yeah. we're given the opportunity to publicly reply to a public review. And she just laid into the guy. Oh, man. (laughs) I was like, I've never seen her so, so, like, blatant. And uh, that was the best part of that situation. First of all, he's ugly. All right, I'm just going to put that out there. You look stupid. Your hair's stupid. All right, you're short. You're weird. You pee too much. Well, and, like, some of the stuff he complained about without even talking to us was – so when we have – 
guests and things have changed since quarantine but when we had guests we send like if you have any food restrictions or requests like we supply these sorts of things um, let us know beforehand and we'll we'll cater to that Hmm. um and so we these sort of things is like yogurt um coffee things like that he complained about the yogurt being too sour for his kids and i'm like well you didn't tell us what type of yogurt you wanted it's like how are we supposed to know we just we we get generally healthy we get a low sugar yogurt because that's what we like and if our guests don't eat it we do Um, but they didn't tell us and then you're going to complain about it like come on with Airbnb, they have like a rating system too. And I know you guys work really hard to make sure your rating system stays really high enough to the point where they have to, they even came out right. And like, did a saw your place to give you like a super high status. And I mean, I know you and Kate are very super like clean and articulate about everything you do. So it's not like it's a, you know, poorly managed place that might get a bad review. Sometimes you guys get all good reviews because you do such a super good job with it. Well, yeah. And, and before this guy, we'd had a five star perfect review on every guest. And after this guy, he gave us like a one or two star overall. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> here's your rating. There's your, there's your average right there. Our average, one of those been, people. Our average <laughs> is 4.9 since then. I'm like, come on. Uh, 4.9. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given him a lower score, but one's the lowest we could go. So I guess that's going to be it. I mean, that's generally it. We've gotten better at, at citing some of those uh, those high maintenance guests, maintenance guests beforehand. So we're like, nope, we're declining you because you sound high maintenance, and we don't want to do that again. Right? You don't even right. want like the uh, after your tenth question before you come to the place. Like, do you want to come or not? If we're just not going to have you now. We're not going to give you the chance to uh, be shitty with us. Well, yeah, yeah. We had somebody ask like seven or eight questions. That that's our that's already like you need that much clarification over an Airbnb, Airbnb stay, um, right? And right. most of them were in the listing. Like, is there a shower? Yeah, there's a shower. Read the listing. <laughs> right. And like four yeah, of the seven questions were read the listing. It's in there. Look at the pictures. It's in there. How. How sweet is your yogurt? <laughs> yeah, that's, there's only so much you can do sometimes to please people. You can only you can only go so far. And I mean, I can attest. I try pretty hard to please people when it comes to like content, co- you know, comments. Some people you just can't please. Doesn't matter what you do. I mean, like I said, like you were saying, you guys went out of your way to do everything he asked you to do. The least he could be was like, it wasn't great when I got there, but they did a good job of making me happy. <laughs> like, give me a three star rating. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that, no that guy's boss was shitting on him all week and yeah, he needed right. to find a little power and he had to find someone else to take it out. On. That's, that's, that's what happened. That's, and that's actually a really good point of view too. Like you should know that that's uh, I was recently listening to the work for it podcast, their, their ninth episode, um, which was hilariously named something about, you know, armpit farts, but they talked about the, uh, a book called the four agreements. And one of the main things that Brian talked about, um, Brian house from work for podcast was one of the four agreements is don't take anything personally because mm-hmm. really everything that everyone's doing, if it's not, if it's not you, if it's not actually personally, like you fired someone and they came back and yelled at you, well, yeah, that's, you might want to take that personally. Cause, but if it's anything that like the person doesn't know you, it's something else, something else in their life has, mm-hmm. is not going the way it is. And it's not personally toward you. It's just that person. So and it doesn't, can't control and, and it doesn't mean you can't rip them apart in response. <laughs> right. Well, and, and there's also but, a significant difference between constructive criticism and, mm-hmm. and trolls. And that's, and that's like you have two forms of, of negative feedback. One is, well, you know, this is how you could do it better or this is 
a better tool for the job. Like my, I did an ingrained cutting board video, and for ingrained, you should you should not send an ingrain anything through a planer. It's not right. overly safe, and I knew that, and I I made my decisions, and I talk you know I talk about it on camera. And then mm-hmm. I have people still calling me out. I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't have $600 for a drum sander. You want to load it? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. So, yeah, so you have your YouTube channel, which is called Crafting a Life I Want. Um, and you, like us, kind of do a little bit of everything. It's all about just us as creators and makers and what we want to make and how we're going to show that and how we're going to share that with the world. That's one of the things, you know, I'm always like, well, I am making, we're creating this content to give to you for free. You don't have to watch it, but if you do watch it and you want to comment, at least it's just more traffic coming our way. You're just creating more content and we're making more money off of your comments. So when you get those, uh, those nasty comments and, and one of the things I love to do is try to win those people over sometimes, you know, it's it only rarely, and I don't, I don't go out of my way to comment back on most of those negative comments, but occasionally if I can see, I can see the light of the tunnel before I enter the tunnel. then I know there's like a window for me to bring that person back around. Um, and if I can bring them around just with a few comments, it's worth it. If I can't, it's not worth it. You know, I, I won't go any further, but, um, occasionally yeah, I'll get somebody who I can, I can win over and you know, <laughs> kill them with kindness. And then they're like, they feel bad about making a, uh, a, a kind of a rude comment. Right. But, but yeah, like you said, there's, there's the people who, who will say something as creative criticism. Sometimes it can, it, on my end, it might sound like it's coming off harsh. I don't really know what they were saying on their end. Maybe they didn't mean it to sound harsh, but right. the end of, but it's pretty easy to tell who's who's creative criticism and who is, um, you know, just a troll, just well, trying yeah, to I mean, just trying to get a get a rise out of you. I had somebody comment on my um, adjustable position tool rest for my two by seventy two grinder that was like, you know, in the future, if you don't have a bottoming tap, you can just cut a regular tap and file, you know, and, and grind down the uh, the first couple threads. And I was like, yep, my regular tap wasn't uh, wasn't mine. I was borrowing it from Dustin. Right. And yeah. a, you know, a bottoming tap cost a dollar ninety nine and it got shipped out within a day. So right, yeah, why would I destroy a perfectly functional through tap? Right. And you, you can, you, you know, all of us are, we've gotten to the point, even, you know, with you, with your channel starting out fairly small, you know, you, we really understand early on when people are, you can hear it in their voice and their comment, what they're saying, you know, it's not like uh, Jimmy Dress's baby voice. It's like, I can't believe you used a bottoming tap. You could just use a regular tap. Why spend your money? Yeah. He he sounded very (laughs) like, and, and sure, if I'm in a pinch and that's my tap and I can buy a replacement tap for the same price I can buy a bottoming tap, then yeah, I might have done that and, you know, and, and finish the project that day. But the joys of Amazon prime is that stuff arrives in less than 24 hours. Right. And yeah, it wasn't like the bottoming tap was $14. No, it was like $2 or something. That's worth it to have a specific tap. That's that will do the job. It's actually the only tap I own. I keep borrowing yours. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right you you spend uh you spend 10 days and produce a video on how to do it right and we'll watch it right yeah exactly but until then um, and then we'll comment back in fact, by all means watch make a video else. on how to modify a through tap uh-huh. into a bottoming tap right i like that actually we should start responding like that more often someone criticizes you like all right point give me the link to your video where you do it right and i'll watch it and, watch then, review. and i'll comment on yours and i'll and i'll appreciate that uh that extra information. This is really useful <laughs> content. I would do this yeah. if I had extra taps lying around that were mine. 
<laughs> I think most most healthy people, when they see a video they don't like, they just stop watching it. And they move <laughs> right. along. Yeah, right. Oh, Apple. this is weird. This annoys me. Huh, I'm not going to watch any more of those. That's how you should respond to a video you don't like. <laughs> yeah, I love it when the comments come through. At the uh, in, in minute 39 of... 41 minutes you did this and i i can't believe you actually did that i'm like all right i'm just glad you watched the whole video thank you <laughs> right that's all that matters it's like hey you just gave me proof that you watched the whole video thanks i appreciate it <laughs> right. yeah you hit every point in the whole video all the way to the end <laughs> i can't believe you picked that up with your hand at the end of the video you're an idiot all right well now i have your money from thank, your thanks, uh, thanks from, for watching yeah right exactly i mean and equally on the reverse side I, I get a lot of pleasure over the positive comments. Like, yeah, particularly absolutely. the ones that seem genuinely interested in what I've created and potentially recreating it themselves. So they'll ask like detailed questions that might not have been covered in the video. They're like, hey, you know, what did you do here? Or what would you have changed? Or stuff like that. I'm like, I'm happy to answer those. And I love seeing that sort of stuff come through. And I'm sure you do too, where it's like, yeah. these people watch the whole video, they thought about it. They're like, you know, I can do this too. Because that's the whole point of the channel is I want to give other people uh, the ability to do things themselves, to gain the confidence to uh, embark on a project that they otherwise wouldn't have and to, you know, prevent them making some of the same mistakes I do. Like I don't cut that stuff out. I talk about it and, and cover it. And it's like, hopefully you don't do this. I think that's one of the key things that I've learned um, making content is if I'm going to do something that I'm not 100% confident that I know how to do it right or I'm not doing it the best way, I'll just make that super evident right out of the bat. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing much here, but I'm going to try it. And please let us know what you think in the comments. That's actually helped a lot when there's something. Because in the past, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I've done my research. I'll just do it. And and I still do that occasionally, you know, because if I have a way that I think will work fine, it will. But if there's something that I'm not 100% sure of, you know, just ask the ask the people. And that's one of the great things about YouTube content is that we really have this community that started and built up around people who are willing to give you more information about what you're doing. You know, people who are willing to tell you, like, you did a great job. You know, it's a good job starting out. You know, maybe try these things in the in the future. And like, or I see that you're right. doing this a little bit wrong. Maybe try doing this and this and this. It'll probably help you out. But good job, you know, trying. I so. think, I think in general, the maker community is helpful. Everyone wants yeah. to kind of, oh, try this, do this. That yeah. That's great. Uh, I, I like how you're starting out there. And for every one of us making YouTube content, there's, a thousand guys who probably know how to do it better. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. you have to realize that no one's a yeah. master. And some people are, you know, you see like these videos, like old Japanese guy makes a chair and you know, it's perfect. <laughs> it's this amazing thing. But most people are just working it out figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Right. That, that Japanese guy has been making that chair for 37 years. And <laughs> right. his, his right. grandson was like, Hey, you should put that on YouTube. Right. Well, what do you think? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I could wait you know, another 10, 15 years until I'm a master at what I'm doing to start creating content. But you know, I don't want to learn anything along the way. You can follow along, folks. <laughs> so, uh, speaking about um, creating things and making things, Sean, let us know uh, what are you working on now? What are you working on for your videos, or where are you working on in the shop? So, I've got one pretty big project in the shop going on right now, and the the main part of it is uh, my a new uh, woodworking workbench. And I'm not like I'm going to do a video on the final assembly of it, but because I'm just following Paul Sellers' workbench design. Um, I'm not videoing the whole thing. Nobody sees, needs to watch me chisel out um, oak beams for three days, which is how long it took to chisel out those oak beams. Um, <laughs> I want to see that. 
<laughs> nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I'm just sweating. How many hours? Yeah, how many? Bleeding on it. Like, nope, nobody, nobody needs to see that. Um, but the, the video I'm working on right now is actually installing the vice in that table. Um, and so I've been, I got it installed and had some issues with depth. I like, I got the whole thing installed and I was doing the shots of it functioning and I lift up the pop up bench dog and I'm like, that bench dog doesn't actually reach the top of the bench. <laughs> so I ended up pulling the whole thing out and chiseling the underside of my bench out so that it could sit up another, I think it ended up being about three quarters to an inch um, so that it would actually function as a pop-up bench dog. All right. Nice. And you're shooting a video for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I'm shooting a video for that one. Um, and that should be the next one that comes out. Nice. Yeah, I, um, you were, we were kind of going back and forth on some design issues and stuff and things about that. And um, we, I was on vacation, so we were texting back and forth. And I was sending, I sent you an image of what I had in mind because was, you know, we were kind of just. It was hard to explain exactly what I was thinking of, although I knew, I knew you knew what I meant. But I was like, well, let me just find a an image and I'll send it to him. So I just start Google searching images and come across a bunch of different images of carpenter's vice. And, and uh, for those of you who are not exactly sure what a carpenter's vice is, it's a vice that clamps on the front of a workbench rather than a normal, like a mechanics vice, which would work clamp onto the top of a workbench. So with a carpenter's vice, you add on a piece of wood, um, two pieces of wood to, to be your clamping mechanism. So you have a, a metal vice that you attach wooden faces to, and then those wooden faces are what you clamp wood to because you're always clamping wood as a carpenter's vice. Mm. Um, so I like look up, looks up some pictures and I find one that I think at least shows clearly what I'm thinking of to show you. And I send it to you. And then when it pops up as a link on my text, I see that it's uh, from Paul Sellers website of what he's doing for his bench, which is exactly what you were looking at to make your bench. <laughs> I like just show my wife. I'm like, look, how funny is that? Like the exact image I found is what he's looking at already. <laughs> I think my response said something along those lines too. And I was like, yeah, thanks. That's Paul Sellers one. <laughs> I've literally watched that video 14 times. <laughs> I felt good though. I was like, hey, at least, you know, I have the mind, same mindset that Paul had. <laughs> like, well, this is a good picture. This shows exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and happened to be exactly where I put it. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, uh, I'll go into mine. I'm, I was helping, uh, our brother Derek with a video that we just did, um, about sailing a race on the Chesapeake Bay. We, we all sailed Dustin drew and Derek or Dustin drew more than I, and they, they all own a boat, um, a sailboat. And, uh, so we've been working on, on that video and the same type of thing. I was looking through actually it was I was looking through fonts to put on his his thumbnail and going through them all and I was like, oh, you know, we want something not too crazy, you know, you don't want anything too crazy. And I found one, I was like, this is perfect, typed it in, and then I looked at it. It's the exact same font we use for our channel. <laughs> I was like, this is nice. This is a clean font, whatever this is. We should you should use this. I was just great. like, oh no, it's it's Georgia. That's the font or what a Georgian or whatever it is. Um so yeah, I, I'm working on that. And I I took out the drone. We did this overnight race. We didn't get much footage of overnight racing, obviously, because you can't see a thing. But uh we sat here and Derek narrated the whole thing and it's kind of just his experience. And if you're interested on what's it like to be on the water for 24 hours and sail from Annapolis and do this long race, 
I think it's really good. And we're really happy with it. I did some sketchy drone flying <laughs> up, <laughs> up and around the boat and got some awesome shots. But with my, with, with most drones, you know, you drop in the water, it's done. It'll sink right to the bottom and that's it. So, uh, well, one time we landed it and it, the, the a GPS on the drone keeps it in one spot. So usually landing, it's super easy on something that's not moving. But when it is moving, you're constantly trying to move it forward. The sailboat's moving forward. I'm moving forward. And once I stop to start to drop, it stays in the same spot. So I'm trying to meet everything up at the same exact time to hit. And then Derek's reaching up and trying to grab and reaching up. And then like bounces off his hand down and like Flies shoots across, <laughs> across and heading towards the edge. And I kind of just didn't look. I kind of just held down. And I heard it. Derek dives and grabs it. And he's like, I got it. I got it. He was all cut up. <laughs> cut up in a few spots. I mean, at least he made, uh, made him pay for the drone usage right and it was the last <laughs> shot it was right, it yeah. was the sun coming up i was like man this is great this is a great shot i was like all right we're done pack it <laughs> up that's it pack the drone up <laughs> my, my blood pressure can't take that anymore <laughs> you told me that story a couple days ago and i hadn't even thought about the fact that when trying to land it that it was gps centered so like trying to land it on a boat that's traveling a couple plus knots right was, right must yeah. have been really fun oh yeah yeah one, and, i mean once we, you, you know yeah you once know. you initiate the landing sequence it comes straight down so you kind of have to move forward a little bit and then start to bring it down and it slowly comes down and you hope that it hits his hand and oh it's just a mess <laughs> and we had done it i think that was the third time we had taken it up so the first two times went pretty well and the when, set, well the yeah. second time we weren't moving we were oh, anchored right yeah. yeah yeah so it was fine the first time we just kind of got lucky got i think it, yeah you just kind of snatched it like it, it, right. it was it was having trouble you just quickly grabbed it right and uh so just so you guys know um if you want to see some other uh race videos as well sean also races with us on our uh sail sail crew it's so that's myself and sean and my brother drew and our buddy charles and his uncle were the kind of the main crew of our boat um sean has gotten some footage and done some race videos of some of our races in the past which are over on his channel crafting a life for one so definitely check that out yeah and um, this one is for our brother's channel, Man versus Matrix, V E R S U S Matrix. Um, yeah, it's a great one. Definitely yeah, go check it, it out. Turned out it's, really good. It turned. It's a good long twenty-two, twenty-three minutes to sit down and relax and just go along the bay with us. Um, and the other thing we're working on is the new knife. Dustin's finally got his prototype knife, Journey, the Art of Craftsmanship knife. We finally finished that this week, yep. so I'll, I'm editing that, and hopefully we get that out. Well, maybe by the time this comes out, it might be out. Yeah, we'll see. See the journey knife, but that was that's really good. It took forever. There was a there was a <laughs> um, had to start over. Dustin right. wasn't happy with the whales coming out, and that's fine. You got to try to make it right. Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about what I've been working on. Um, so yeah, we finished up the journey knife last week, um, and I just I called it the journey just because I thought it would be kind of interesting. You know, like life is about the journey, not the destination. And uh, journey men is a you know a level in craftsmanship. You're a journeyman, so it kind of all relates back some to our channel, some mm-hmm. to the way I feel like you use a knife on the journey. You know, it's all part of like creating your journey. So. Um, we, we did, we finished that up. That came out pretty well. Um, I'm already noticing a few things that I want to change in the design, which is the whole point <laughs> of making a prototype, right? Is that, you know, you need to, you have the prototype so that you can live with it. Um, you know, the main shape of it, the main form, uh, the size, I like all those things. Um, there are a few little, uh, small errors that I made in the build process, which I'll change up. Um, 
but otherwise, yeah, that turned out really good. So we finished that up. Um, we did, uh, um, we did the race, which was kind of fun. Sean and I actually yesterday did a double-handed race, and we came fourth out of seventh, which uh, which was a frustratingly slow sailboat race. We had little to no wind the mm. entire race. I think mm. our top speed was about three and a half knots, <laughs> um, our, uh, and that was you know for three minutes maybe brief, <laughs> out of like, <laughs> yeah out of like a, a two and two hour and 25 minute race <laughs> but everything else pretty much just sitting still um and those are frustrating because you are in a position where you could be doing really well and then there's just these weird puffs of wind and someone else they get the wind and then all those boats are doing really well and you're just sitting completely still and they all pass you and then you move up a little bit and you catch a wind and then they're all sitting still and you're passing them so it really is hard to uh to do a race like that and do really well, it's kind of almost luck, you know, where you are at a time and where the wind shifts, but it was really nice to be out on the water and, uh, just spend some time doing that. It was great. Yeah. Um, I mean, the beer was cold. <laughs> we weren't doing so much on the boat. Heck yeah. There you go. The beer was cold. <laughs> we, were, we were drinking, we were having a good time. You know, we didn't have to make any split decisions because the wind was howling yeah, we, or anything. You don't have the intensity of the wind. Yeah. You just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? Just enough time to sit there and bitch and moan about how there's no wind. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like just to give you, an, you all an idea of how that went. Like, we our start was pretty poor, so we started off in almost last place by the time we got across the the, the start line, and then within you know twenty. That's minutes, design, so half It's an designed hour, that way, though. Huh? Yeah. I was going to say it's designed that well, way. Yeah, we did a pursuit race where our even, time to start was after everybody else. We didn't so, even but get yeah. to the start line until seven minutes. Or more right. after our start time. Right. And no one did because there was just no wind. We were um, all just sitting still. <laughs> but yeah, within like a half an hour, we were probably had moved up into second place. Yep. And then we had a weird wind shift that by the time we got back to where we were, we were back in almost last place. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Oh. Exactly. Back and forth, back the, and forth. So. I, th- I think sometimes just like runners, like you have the rabbit, you have someone that takes off ahead of the whole group of people right. just to pull everyone else ahead. Yeah. My wife used to be one of the rabbits. She might've been not the long distance, but for a while she could get out ahead to, to speed the time nice. up for everybody on the yeah. team. So I think it's nice to have a rabbit sometimes ahead of you sailing. Yeah. Cause not only you can watch what's happening, you watch the wind hit them first. Yep. You watch. So you get this preview of what's going to happen to you, but you also have these, this thing to make, you're making slight adjustments towards it and you can, yeah, you can see your speed either why we're losing when you're that far out in the bay and you slow down a half an hour. I mean, you can see it, but you don't really notice. Right. But when someone yeah. starts pulling away, when you've been with them for a half an hour, you go, okay, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Or what am I doing? Right. Why am I moving faster than they are? Whatever we're doing, just right. keep doing it. Cause it's working. And then you see them yeah. switch to whatever sale we're using. <laughs> you're like, okay, they see us. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun. That's a great, that's a great like metaphor for, just life in general. There's always someone out there that you, you know, you mm-hmm. give yourself a goal, you know, yeah. aim at that goal, you know, and it doesn't have to be someone who's, you know, not the person front in line. It can be the person that's just right in front of you. Right. The you rabbit. Know, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's just frustrating when you back away from that person. And then the next person <laughs> that's behind you, they pass you and, but that's, that's, yeah, that was the, uh, the, the, um, main idea for the work for podcast was, adversity through you know change and adversity to make you get better yeah, so so when you when you're giving yourself a challenge you make yourself get better yeah we're all we're all dealing that with with uh, all the pandemic stuff right now so we yeah. are all pushing through um, one, of the, one of the big things 
that Brian mentioned in some of our Brian from the housework uh, podcast mentioned in one of our private discussions work was like yep. work for it. Thank you. Um, he mentioned that don't necessarily put a time frame on your goal, like make a goal and consistently work towards that goal. But don't like, if you can't necessarily control it, don't give yourself a, I want to be in here in six months or in three mm-hmm. months because it's that much more disappointing when you don't hit it. Like just work, work hard and continue to work mm-hmm. towards your goal. And when you get there, you'll be happy. Not, not, I should have been here six months ago. Right. I, I think it's a good, a good thing to set a, not a number goal, but a, it's not even a goal. It's a, Hey, we're going to work on this for a year straight, or we're going to work on this for five years. Right. See how, see where we get If in five years. We're right. nowhere. Okay. Maybe we don't have whatever it is that someone wants. I think, yeah. And I think that so the not difference a, between that is that you're giving yourself a, a let's work on this hard for this mm-hmm. amount of time mm-hmm. and then get wherever we are and we'll see how well, well that works. Right. So it's more of a, let's give it all of our effort goal. Mm-hmm. And like that's what Sean said, you know, it's not, not a time goal. It's a, it's give it effort for this amount of time and then we'll see where we are. If you know, it's not like we have to be here by this time, you know? So yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. It'll be working hard toward it. Right. Um, so, Sean, uh, we like to talk to our guests, and we actually unfortunately forgot about this with our last guest, but uh, Tom Sorry, Simons. Tom. Um, but we want to ask you a disaster story. So in our first podcast, we kind of talked about our disaster stories and how it's important as a maker to um, to know that you're not always going to do something perfect every time. It's not always going to work out. You're going to hit a disaster, mm. and how do you move past that? So do you have a disaster story for us, Sean? I do, but I'm sad I didn't get to hear Tom's disaster story. I imagine he's got some great ones. <laughs> he did, yeah. He had a, I think, uh, I'll think about it. He, he gave me a little brief conversation <laughs> about what it what it was going to be because we prompted him to, but he didn't get a chance. Yeah, yeah it was a it was a car race, and his gra- his grandparents both died, and, and it was we were like, that's too much, Tom. That's that's too heavy. We don't want that type of disaster story. <laughs> that's not yeah, true. Not like that was just that was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I don't think we've talked about it um, yet on the podcast, but the I know you guys have talked about it before, uh, the bow making class that you guys did. And Devin, you talked about your disaster in the bow making <laughs> class. Um, well, I right. took that class with you guys as well. And yeah. um, this was, you know, six or seven months after that class, Dustin and I were, we were both still really into to making bows, but hadn't really found a good local source of wood to do it. Uh, since then, Dustin came into a whole bunch of Osage Orange staves, which are fantastic bow wood. Yeah. Anyways, Dustin and I had gone out in the woods and found um, a cedar tree that supposedly makes really good bows. And so we, <laughs> we grabbed it and brought it back, split it out and dried it. And I was in the process of making a bow for uh, my mother-in-law's significant other. Uh, he likes to hunt. He appreciates handmade things, stuff like that. And... I had put in probably six weeks and 60 man hours worth of work and I'd done all the tillering. It was, you know, I'd already gone through all of the, the, the testing of it and getting it ready and I'm getting ready to take it out for its first shots. And I string you it. You did, uh, you backed it, right? Oh as well. yeah, that's right. Thank you. Um, I, uh, <laughs> so cedar is generally known to be good in compression strength. Um, without taking a set, but not so good in um, tensile strength. And Which is like stretching. Yeah. yeah tens- so obviously tension. when you bend a bow, one side is compressing, the other side is stretching. Um, and so for cedar, they said back it with something. And sinew is the most common um, use for a traditional bow to back it with which is the tendons from deer. And what you do is you take a tendon, dry it out, and then hammer it. 
um, to break it up and you pull out a bunch of little strings as you pull it apart. And then I used, um, I didn't like the idea of uh, more traditional glue. So I used a tight bond three, a waterproof wood glue and put it on like probably three or four layers over the entire back of the bow of sinew just to give it that extra strength. And so I'm getting ready to take this bow out and do test shots and I string it and I'm in my house and I'm just doing, doing some warmups because that you warm up a, a traditional self bow before you shoot it and just going through it. And I go and it's the last warm up I've done 20 or 25 of them. And I just pull back and anchor in my cheek, uh, which is where I, where I anchor for my, my draw. And it just snaps. It snaps about six oh. inches above my handle and the top oh. limb. Like that was probably a 55 or 60 pound bow. And it just Ooh. pops down, gave me a big welt on my forehead. Oh man. And, Mm. Oh man, it was so it's such a sad moment. Like I said, it was supposed to be a gift. Um, a bunch of time had gone into it, and it was probably late November by the time it actually got finished and broke. I was thinking, you know, I'm actually ahead of the game here. I've got a Christmas gift done roughly by before <laughs> December. Like, yeah, apparently not. <laughs> um, and that was uh, that was a rough one. I ended up actually uh, giving him the hickory bow I made in that class because it was the only other bow oh, nice. I had completed at the time. <laughs> this is the one I just made for you from the class three months ago, eight months ago. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's so that's so stressful. One of those things you make and then you put so much time into it. A lot of other things you can see flaws early, but that is when it's go time, you just got to do it. And you've moved forward since then, right? Sean made more bows. Yeah, made more bows. Um, I actually shoot a forty-five to fifty-pound Osage bow. Um, Dustin and I, nice. you and I, go out every week, um, roughly to the local uh, local archery range and yep. shoot. They have like a 18, 18 target walkthrough range in the woods. Um, mm-hmm. That's a ton of fun. And Dustin and I go and shoot, and he beats me most of the time. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're always close, which is great. You know, always up to the the end, we're always close within a few points of each Those other. Those last two targets just kill me every time. <laughs> we we have to make that a video sometime soon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we are getting we are at an hour and thirty six minutes, and we like to end with uh, some recommendations. Some of the other podcasts we listen to, they do recommendations, and it always ends up being really interesting. And I find uh, great information from those recommendations. So mm. uh, I'm going to start a recommendation. My recommendation this week is for um, a knife maker, uh, Andy Roy, and his company is Fiddleback Forge. Um, when I started knife making, I was looking for inspiration online, and this is back really before YouTube was really settled in. So I wasn't looking at YouTube and I wasn't, there was no Instagram. Um, so I was part of the blade forums, um, online and I'd, I'd become a member there and, uh, Andy posted his knives, Fiddleback Forge, um, his knives on, on there and they had Fiddleback Friday where you could buy the knives there. And he just has really beautiful knives. These just great designs, really nice, uh, bevel grinding which i always appreciate bevel grinding because it's it's really hard to do really clean bevels excuse me and andy always does just these really beautiful bevels and great designs um i love his uh recluse that's my favorite of their designs and um yeah definitely check out fiddleback forge if you're interested in knife making and uh, if you're interested in purchasing a knife um as well as sometime in the fall or winter i'll be uh putting up my my uh Chip journey knife up for sale but other than that yeah definitely check out andy roy's fiddleback forge you can find him on instagram fiddleback for, just at fiddleback forge as well as his website fiddlebackforge.com 
Sean, what do you got for us? Well, so with the bow making stuff, um, I'm part of a couple of, uh, of self bow and traditional boyery uh, groups on Facebook and recently came across a beautiful Osage bow by Swiftwood bows that had um, some nice recurve tips. And so I started looking into him um, and checking out some of his, he's got a YouTube channel and an Instagram and it's Swiftwood space bows for YouTube and then Swiftwood bows, all one word um, for Instagram. But he makes some beautiful work uh, and he, his YouTube channel actually talks about uh, some of the process he, processes he uses for making recurve tips and getting them consistent um, and equal on both sides. And uh, one of the big things that he did that I, I was, you know, mind exploding type of thing is uh, you have to steam or heat up wood when you're going to um, bend it. And instead of trying to seal the top of a pot or making a big steam box, he actually just takes the tip of his bow and sticks it into a tea kettle like right around the tip. So the, there's steam, mm. it's in the hot water, and then takes it straight out um, side and puts it in his uh, his form for, for bending the bow. Shake, right. And it was That's just so like, cool. I, that was one of the big things <laughs> as far as steaming wood was concerned is I kept thinking I needed to build a box and buy a steamer and be able to get the whole bow up to X temperature before it bends. And there's some other things you can do, Dustin. I know we've in the past used oil and a heat gun um, and that works pretty well um, for certain things but I never got I never felt like I was getting enough um, full penetration of the heat to want to you know bend the tip of a bow 90 degrees for a recurve like that was just a little too stressful for me with Mm. that that mechanism and yeah if you're using a full box to steam you know that's if you're going to be shaping an entire bow but if you just want to do those last you know 8 to 10 inches of the Mm. tip yeah that's that sounds that's awesome have some delicious Osage tea after. <laughs> yeah, Osage right. tea. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Maybe poisonous. I don't. Don't try that at home. We don't. We don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, mine is actually changed. What I think I, I wanted to do. We already did our brother's uh, man versus matrix. All right. Go check him out for sure. But as Sean was talking about, uh, kind of the American reality show style of drama. Right, adding drama to anything, mm, right? To to get viewers, I, I don't think it's not needed for a lot of things. I mean it. It'll get you more viewers in. in yeah, it has, o- it has overall its place in time, right? Because not everyone's interested in tiny houses, but if you make it dramatic, everyone can get pulled in, right? But um, I wanted to recommend the repair shop on Netflix. Which is kind of a, I guess it's, I don't know, but it, maybe it's the British style of doing reality television, like the great uh, British Bake Off and Repair Shop. It's a positive, no drama, kind of light. I mean, the British Bake Off has some drama, but it's all it's all positivity, all nice, pretty, nice, calm music, nice British uh, narration. <laughs> and it's so much, I, oh, I enjoy it so much British more. And the repair shop, it's great. They do everything. They have a, a group of different um, skilled workers who do some repair furniture, some repair small toys, some repair clocks. Mm. Other people repair old teddy bears that are 100 years old. So you get the, the happiness, the sweetness of it <laughs> at, at the end of it all. Because, I mean, they do have a dramatic, not, not a dramatic story, but they always have a little bit of a... This was my mother's, and this, she gave this to me, and right something to make I, you. I would just, I would just love to see yeah. it back again. And there's some usually right. some tears at the end, so you have that. But 
oh man it, it's really good and and everyone the whole crew it's always positive but you get to see these beautiful old pieces get repaired back to uh their former glory it's it's a it's great the repair shop check it out on netflix all right well we've come to the end uh, i just want to say thank you so much to sean for joining us sure, again you pleasure. can check out uh check out sean on uh crafting a life i want on uh, youtube and also on instagram crafting uh underscore a underscore life underscore i underscore want on instagram <laughs> and just crafting a life i want on youtube definitely check him out give him some more subscribers he's doing an awesome job you know trying to juggle a full-time job and making content that's fun for us to watch and uh, a newborn and a four-year-old and an amazing <laughs> wife which i love kate um so oh, you're yeah, doing an awesome too. job yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're doing a great job sean we're we're super um happy for you and you know always willing to help out anywhere and i think there are a lot of people out there who are rooting for you too so definitely check out Sean's channel um, and also go check out our channel The Art of Craftsmanship on YouTube you can follow us also on Instagram at The Art of Craftsmanship and if you're interested in supporting us more you can check us out on Patreon as well as if you guys are looking at a way to help out with this podcast you can always send me a DM send us a DM through Instagram and let us know if you have topics to think about or if you're interested in joining um, you have something fun to talk to talk about yeah if there's any questions we haven't even really gone into that and some of our other podcasts will we'll just we'll read comments and questions from yep. videos but if you have any direct questions you want us to talk about or answer we're more than happy yeah because the, the great thing about our this podcast which we really enjoy is the the different perspective of having Devin and i both on here and both be able to kind of comment about how we make videos and how we make things in general in our mindsets so if there's something that you saw in a video or you want us to talk about or some bigger issue uh let us know um, so you can find us on the Makery Network. That's makery.network. Um, that's where we are uh, an awesome you know, position to be in a, a group of maker uh, podcasts with a really awesome group of people who are doing great jobs on those podcasts, which we talk about all the time. Um, and yeah, you can find us on all the normal podcasting platforms. Again, it's the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. And thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you next time. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.